Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussions in Dragons, the podcast where my brother and I take an in-depth look at the world of 5e and all things Dungeons and Dragons. Opening and closing music credit to Will Savino at patreon.com slash musicd20. I'm Britton. And I'm Jaren. And this week, we are continuing our serialized look at the new sourcebook for 5th edition titled Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Tasha's has introduced new and optional rules for character creation, as well as a ton of new subclasses for players to choose from. This week, we're focusing on the Artificer and everything that Tasha has to offer to them. So this week, uh, like I said, we are going to be focusing on the Artificer. Now, Tasha's has introduced the Artificer as a new class for people to play. Um, For those of you who are familiar with Dungeons & Dragons and the books that have come out, this class was actually introduced in um, the Eberron setting. But now Tasha's has actually brought it into the the world of the Forgotten Realms and 5e and making it a little bit more available for the general player. Now, Jaren, you took over this week and you actually t- uh, wrote some notes and wanted to talk about the class as a whole and what we should expect when we start to decide to build one of these characters. Yeah, so I'm really excited. The Artificer is a really interesting class. Um, historically, in in the realm of the Forgotten Realms, um, they are the creators of magic items. They're the the inventors. Um, they're tinkerers that use some variety of artisans' tools. They have the ability to infuse magic into otherwise mundane items. And the thing that is central to this class is their ability to infuse items. This thing called magical infusions, which we're going to talk about later on. Um, basically, the, this lets them beef up their weapons, their armor. It lets them create robotic servants um, and straight up create magic items. And there's a whole long list of these different infusions for you to choose from. Uh, they also get four uh, different specialist classes: uh, the alchemist, armorer, artillerist, and battlesmith. And uh, we're gonna take a dive and look into those uh, later on. Um, They they all kind of work similarly, these different subclasses. They all, at third level, get a new tool proficiency, uh, since each specialist kind of focuses and centralizes around that different tool proficiency. Um, They get their specialist spells, uh, and then they get uh, a feature that is sort of the core feature of that specialist subclass um, that their later features uh, sort of call back to and, and make better. Um, so let's, uh, let's just get into it and talk about the rest of the general class features for the Artificer. Yeah, so like Jaren said, we are going to be looking at all of the subclasses that Tasha's has to offer for these. And, you know, the Artificer is kind of unique in the sense that uh, at almost every single level, they are gaining either a new feature, an ability score improvement, or a subclass feature, uh, except at level 13 and level 17. So we decided to divvy up these features, and every time they gain a new level, we're going to be passing it back and forth and talking about these class features. So uh, at first level, the first thing that you get as an artificer is called magical tinkering. So with thieves' tools or artisans' tools in hand, uh, you touch a tiny non-magical object and give it one of these properties. The object sheds a bright light in a 5-foot radius and a dim light in another 5-foot radius. Or whenever that item is tapped by a creature, the object emits a recorded message that is less than six seconds long, and the message can be heard up to 10 feet away. The object continuously emits an odor or a nonverbal sound perceivable up to 10 feet away. 
A static visual effect appears on its surface, and it can be a picture, up to 25 lines of text, shapes, lines, or a mixture of these elements. And these properties last indefinitely, unless you touch the object and dismiss it. You can have a number of these active equal to your intelligence modifier, and only one effect can actually happen per item, and if you try and exceed the number of effects on these items, the effect of the oldest item immediately ends. So this effect kind of reminds me of Druidcraft or Prestidigitation in the sense that it is something that is, it kind of does mundane things, you know, shooting off sparks, growing a flower, lighting a fire. Some of those things are not some of the most mind-blowing magical effects that can happen, but some of these things that can happen to these mundane objects are incredibly useful, specifically being able to produce any picture onto a service. This could include maps, pictures of a specific person, or even exact replicas of text from a document that you found and you want to remember. So I think that this feature is really cool and it is so unique and on theme for artificers and it is so useful. And just like Prestidigitation and Druidcraft, it is as limitless as your imagination. Yeah, I agree. This is a purely utility ability and it's going to be really uh really useful like i there's so many situations where that is going to come into play the ability to replicate text or the a picture of a, of a person that you saw you want to turn into the authorities for example yeah i you know honestly i cannot even tell you how many times uh my party has had to describe an npc and what they thought they saw just by purely remembering if you know you had an artificer that has say, a, a piece of slate or a, a piece of metal, and they can just, like, produce it and say, nope, this is the guy right here, this guy right here. So um, the second thing that you get at first level is your spell casting. They explain a little bit how the spell casting works. Um, we're not going to go over every single spell that this class has access to, but it, it is important to note that the spells that are on the list in this book, um, they are available in Tasha's, Player's Handbook, and also Xanathar's Guide. So they have spells from each of those three books that are on that list, so you may need to do some extra digging if you wanted to have access to all of their spells. So Artificers are half-casters, and they don't have access to spells that are higher than 5th level. Um, and being a half-caster, they do gain access to their spell slots at a slower rate, but on the upside to this, um, Artificers are unique in the sense that they are only half-casters, but they can prepare their spells each day, and they have access to cantrips. So much like a druid or cleric, um, or paladin even, they know all of their spells and they just prepare them. Um, so the Artificer's spellcasting modifier is intelligence, and the spellcasting focus that you have is a set of artisan's tools that you are proficient in. And starting at first level, you do have proficiency in um, thieves' tools, tinkers' tools, or one other type of artisan's tools of your choice. And one of my most favorite things about this class is that their spellcasting is so unique. Their spells are not cast by normal means, such as an incantation to produce spells out of thin air, or reading runes to pull a magical effect out of a scroll, but rather they prepare their spells by creating little trinkets or mechanical wonders to produce magical effects out of normally mundane objects, and they are able to access the magic within these objects to create these wonderful effects. 
And there is a little purple text box on page 11 of Tasha's that talks about the magic of artifice and how you may want to explain your spells, such as, you know, instead of casting cure wounds, maybe you've created a little mechanical spider that has needles for arms and it sews up your wounds really quick. Or maybe uh, instead of casting Conjure Barrage or Conjure Volley, you, you have a a device on your arm that shoots these out. So you're not casting spells, you're creating these devices to do these things for you. And it doesn't affect the gameplay for your character, um, but explaining your spells in this way only further deepens and distinguishes the artificer as a unique type of caster. I really love that. You know you know me, I'm somebody that really loves the role play. Oh, yeah. And I think that especially if you are... Um, a, a seasoned D&D player and you know how to really get into that and want to describe your spells and the RP and really get into your character, I think this is a wonderful class for that, being able to customize and really personalize your artificer and how they cast their spells. So at second level, we have the ability uh, called Infuse Item. And uh, like we mentioned at the start, there's a whole long list of these infusions for you to choose from. Um, but essentially, this allows you to imbue or ordinarily mundane items with these certain magical infusions. Um, at second level, you start with four infusions that you know. And uh, then at different breakpoints as you level up, you gain additional infusions that you know. For example, at sixth level, you know up to six. At tenth level, you know up to eight. 14th is 10 infusions, and then lastly, it caps out at 18th level where you know up to 12 infusions. Um, additionally, whenever you level up, you can replace a known infusion with a different one. Some of these infusions have a level requirement. So the way that the infusions work is at the start of each day, you can infuse an object uh, with one of these infusions. Um, assuming you have the object, some of them have item requirements. And lastly, each infusion can only be in one object at a time, and an object can only hold one infusion. It's just one, one for one. And uh, like I mentioned, at the end of the episode, towards the end, we're going to talk about some of our favorites. There's some really interesting ones, and I'm, I'm really excited to uh, try out some of these. Yeah, it seems like, especially with the Artificer, they've kind of given you the, the bread and butter, if, if you will, early on to show that this is the core of this class and it only gets better as you level up much like you know a rogue's sneak attack or um, how warlock's spell slot level levels up as they level up this is the core of this subclass or this class yeah i, I agree and what i really like about the infused item is we're going to see how important it is to have active infusions once we get to 20th level, as you might assume, 20th level is kind of absurd. I think as most classes tend to get once you max out, but we'll save that surprise for later. Yes. So moving into third level, this is where you get to choose your subclass. It is called an artificial specialist. So you choose one of these four subclasses and each get their own unique feature. Uh, we mentioned them before, but just as a reminder, there is the alchemist, the armorer, the artillerist, and the Battlesmith. So you get to choose one of those four. Um, each has their own bonuses and their own proficiencies and features, and we will get into that once we finish off with all these class features. Um, and additionally, at third level, you gain access to a feature called Right Tool for the Job. So with Thieves' Tools or your Artisan's Tools in hand, you can spend one hour of uninterrupted work to create any set of Artisan's Tools in front of you. 
this uh, one hour can also coincide with a long or short rest as well. So, you know, the, the, this feature in and of itself doesn't seem too magnificent, but it is kind of interesting that you are able to create any sort of artisan's tools that you need for a job that you might be doing. And for anybody that does need a refresher on what those artisan's tools can be, this is the complete list that is given in the player's handbook. Alchemist supplies, brewer supplies, calligrapher supplies, carpenter's tools, cartographer's tools, cobbler's tools, cook's utensils, glass blower's tools, jeweler's tools, leather worker's tools, mason's tools, painter's supplies, potter's tools, smith's tools, tinker's tools, weaver's tools, and woodcarver's tools. So with this feature, you're able to produce any of those tools, um, like one set of those. Unfortunately, you do not gain proficiency in those uh, when they are created, but there are probably people in your party that could use those tools or have um, proficiency in those tools. So if you lost them or they are unable to be bought, if you are in the middle of the wilderness and trying to do some of these things, you can create them with this one hour um, ritual, I will say, and you're able to produce these for whomever needs them. So it's, it's this feature supports versatility and the ability to produce very helpful items when need be. Yeah, reading through all these, they're, they're a bit situational and maybe not the most uh, mechanically useful gameplay-wise. You know, however, maybe your party is deciding to um, open up a brewery, you know, and they, they now need some brewer supplies. Or maybe you have somebody in the party that really likes to, you know, prepare some sort of meal as a ritual um, and they need some cook's utensils. I don't know. Use your, use your imagination. There's a number of situations where these could be all useful. Yeah, I mean, if, if your DM is one of those DMs that is really into your weapons or armor getting damaged and that is a problem for you and you need to fix that, if you produce these smith's tools, perhaps your barbarian is proficient in smith's tools and can um, do some smithing on your armor to repair it while out in the field. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, continuing on at, at fourth level, um, we have something pretty normal. We have the ability score improvement. This works exactly like every other class where you can increase your an ability score by two or uh, two different ones by one. Um, and then that happens like every other class at later levels as well. Um, now, as they are a spell casting class, um, actually built right into their ability to cast spells is whenever you level up in Artificer right away, you can choose a different cantrip if you want to. Um, so they have that feature that we've seen all over the place in Tasha's with spellcasters, but they have that built right into the class starting right at level one. Um, so continuing on at a sixth level is a feature called Tool Expertise. And this allows you to double your proficiency bonus for any check that uses your proficiency with a tool. So um, I, I think this is another situational sort of a feature. Um, yes, you are gaining proficiency with all these different artisans tools and thieves tools and whatnot. But a lot of the things that you do with them as a class, as class features, just simply require you to have them and don't necessarily ask you for any sort of check. On the other hand, maybe since you're getting this feature and, and doubling your proficiency bonus for these checks with proficiency with your tools, that might provoke you to put yourself into situations where you are asked to make checks with them since you're getting that bonus. Yeah, I... What I enjoy about the Artificer even existing is now it kind of puts the responsibility onto the DM's lap to say, I am a character that works with tools. I like to create. These are the things, you know, what situations might you put me in? 
where I need to make checks with my tools um, to kind of validate the artificer a little bit more and make sure that some of these features just don't go unnoticed. I know uh, some people forget about different kits and tools even existing because people tend to ignore them or not use them because they can be done with a spell. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But I will say, I know we kind of touched on this when we talked about uh, bards and rogues. Again, maybe this is me wanting too much or being too precious about um, classes that I've played before. I just really think that expertise should not be something that's limited to bards and rogues. Like, who says that, you know, the barbarian hasn't worked hard enough to be an expert in athletics? I, I don't know. I just think that expertise should be something maybe like a feat or maybe something that everyone should have access to if your character works hard enough at something they should be able to be an expert in what they do that makes a lot of sense i have a lot of opinions on feats and maybe we can talk about that in a future episode yeah let's let's please do that um, but in the meantime we'll move on to the seventh level feature which is called flash of genius so when a creature you can see within 30 feet of you makes an ability check or saving throw you can use your reaction to add your intelligence modifier to the roll, and you can do this a number of times equal to your intelligence mod per long rest. Now, I really like the description that the book gives for this feature because it describes this um, sort of assistance as the artificer being able to come up with quick solutions as to the problems and give assistance to their teammates. So it's not about you know magical inspiration or or you know, assisting with a role, it's like kind of in battle, you're quickly saying, no, don't do it like that. Do it like this. And then it assists them in the role. Um, I will say the one limiting thing about this feature is that it says you can add your intelligence modifier to the role, but it doesn't say anything about knowing if the role succeeds or fails. So I would assume that if your cleric with full plate armor needs to do a dex check or a save, that's when you would use it because you know that your cleric isn't that dexterous. So to me, the usefulness of this feature only becomes tangible after you know the DC of something that your team is trying to evade. Yeah, that's a, an interesting distinction. I'll, I'll, I would be interested to see how it uh, plays out in practice. Yeah, because you know, like most, like we've said before, Wizards is very, very particular and specific about their wording when it comes to rules. So... This not saying that, I don't think it's, oh, they left it out. Like, no, you can, if they make this check, you can do this as your reaction, but you don't know if their role is going to succeed or fail. You just have to add it, trying to assist them. Yeah. On the other hand, burning a reaction to do that, it's not the biggest deal in the world. It's not like burning a spell slot or, you know, you can only do this once per day. Um, you can do it a, a number of times per long rest so i i don't think the downside is really all that big of a deal in case you give it to them and i didn't actually need it yeah i mean what do you really give up on a reaction um an opportunity attack maybe yeah and you know they don't have access to like hellish rebuke or anything like that so you know you're not gonna be casting too many spells as a reaction so this is something that you can do as a reaction that is helping your teammates which i like yeah so uh, moving on at 10th level, we have the feature called Magic Item Adept. And this allows you to attune up to four magic items at once instead of the normal three. 
additionally, if you're in the business of crafting magical items, if you craft something that's got a common or uncommon rarity, it takes you a quarter of the time and one half of the gold. Um, and honestly, I, I haven't really come across really any situation where somebody is in that realm of crafting items. Um, it seems to me that it's usually just going to be easier and cheaper to buy it or find it. Um, but if you're in that world and want to make something, want to make a magic item and your DM's got the rules ready to go, um, you have a little bit of a benefit there as well. I think the key thing here is the ability to attune to more magic items, four instead of the usual three. Might not seem like a big deal now, but a little bit of a teaser, we're going to see how this is a huge deal later on, especially uh, once we talk about the infusions and your ability to uh, create magic items. This stacking of the ability to attune to a bunch of things all at the same time is really going to be coming into play uh, later on in the in the higher levels of Artificer. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, being able to attune up to four magic items at once, that's even more than any normal person. So that's already super, super useful. And yeah, I, I would agree where at a certain point you can just buy things, but, you know, depending on the DM, you may not be able to buy it at all. Some shops just may not have this thing. Yeah, you, you might be in that world of crafting items. Mm-hmm. And then just after 10th level is the 11th level feature that you get called Spell Storing Item. So whenever you finish a long rest, you may touch a simple or martial weapon or one object that you could use as a spellcasting focus and store a spell in it. This spell must be a first or second level, and the casting time must be one action to cast. The creature holding this object can use an action to cast the spell, and if it requires concentration, the creature that cast it must concentrate. The spell stays in the item until you cast the spell a number of times equal to twice your intelligence modifier, or if you use this feature again. So this feature is incredibly strong, no doubt about it. So let's just do some imagining here and assume that at 11th level, you've gotten your intelligence modifier to be plus five. That means that you can cast a first or second level spell 10 times per long rest. So the Artificer at this level is essentially getting 10 free casts of a useful spell. And obviously I'm not going to name off all of those spells available for this item, um, but I will go into two of my favorites to be used by this spell storing item, Cure Wounds and Invisibility. So with Cure Wounds, you would be able to produce um, 10d8 plus 50 healing per long rest. That would be, you know, 1d8 plus 5 per cast, 10 casts, 10d8 plus 50. And with invisibility, each team member could hold onto the item and cast invisibility on themselves for free, and it would just require their own concentrations. So you could do this multiple times per day, depending on your party size. I just, I, I love this idea of creating a spell storing item that is especially like a healing beacon. I think that's so amazing. It takes the pressure off of the cleric or druid to try to get near someone enough to cast a healing spell. They could heal themselves. And I, I, I don't know. I think that's very, very awesome. Or just have a healing stone in your pocket at the end of a really long fight. Have 10d8 plus 50. <laughs> just pass it around. Hey, you want to hit this stone? Pass it, pass it around the group. Yeah. Um, don't worry about this long circular tube. Just pass it around the group and get <laughs> it, it's, your it's uh, feel get, good. Get those good vibes. 
And if I remember right, you don't have to have the spell prepared in order to put it in the item, right? Nope. Just at the end of a long rest, uh, the beginning of the day, you can, you just put it into there. And yeah, you don't, that does not even need to be a spell that you prepare. Just any spell, first or second level, that's on the Artificer spell list. Yep, that is a casting time of one action. That's pretty good. That, that by a long shot, beats out healing potions. 100%. And it's for free. 11th level, just a free, insane amount of healing. That's, that's ridiculously strong. That might be my favorite feature of this class so far. Mm-hmm. I agree. So continuing on, um, at 14th level, we have the Magic Item Savant feature, which, like the Magic Item Adept, you can attune to yet more Magic Items. You can tune to up to five at once. And the cooler half of this feature, you get to ignore any class, race, spell, or level requirements for item attunement or Magic Item use. So let your imaginations run wild with this. I know from experience playing collectible card games, whenever you get to cross classes and play stuff that ordinarily isn't allowed, it's sort of sky's the limit. You can create some absolutely broken combinations of things. And I imagine that's probably the case with Artificer, getting to use something that ordinarily is for druids only or for warlocks only or requires you to be a, a certain school of magic, a wizard. But doing that in Artificer potentially could be a bit nutty. Uh, yeah, could you imagine an Artificer rolling up with the Holy Avenger? That, like, plus three artifact for paladins only. Oh, I know. Yeah, there's just so many combinations. Just use your imagination. Um, come up with something that's absolutely crazy. And uh, artificers just being able to use whatever they want, any magic item that they want. It's both thematic to the class itself and ridiculously strong. Oh, yeah. And that actually uh, flows right into the 18th level uh, feature that you get. That is called Magic Item Master, and you can now attune up to six magic items. So this is obviously just a compounding feature with what we saw at 10th level and at uh, 14th level. With having six, you are now able to attune with double the amount of items that a normal person could. And, you know, it's just a compounding feature that just gets stronger and stronger, which leads us right into the 20th level feature. Yep, this one is called Soul of Artifice. And remember how we talked about um, your infusions being incredibly useful and, and having all those objects infused with uh, your, your magical infusions and being able to stack and make sure you're attuned to all these magic items? Well, here's where that all comes full circle. At 20th level with the Soul of Artifice feature, you get a plus one bonus to all saves per magic item you're currently attuned to. So that is up to a plus six bonus to all saves, which by the way, includes all your death saves since attunement lasts until you're actually dead. And being at zero hit points, you're not technically dead. You're just unconscious and making some death saves. So getting plus six to all of those, gonna be a bit tough to kill an artificer. By the way, if you're reduced to zero hit points with this feature, but you're not actually killed, meaning you're not uh, hit for an amount beyond zero equal to your max hit points, you can use a reaction and end an infusion to drop to one hit point instead of zero. So uh, looking at 20th level, your maximum number of infusions is 12. That means in order to kill an artificer at 20th level, you have to get past 
12 of the, well, you can use your reaction to go to zero hit points. So, but there's theoretically up to 12 of those not actually going to zero hit points and going to one. You can just end these infusions. And then you have to get past uh, three death saves, which all have a plus six to them. I think it's going to be nearly impossible to kill a 20th level artificer. Yeah, I, oh my God. Just thinking about how annoying it would be that an artificer just will not stay down. Which, I mean, they could be used as bait. They could be the damage sponge. You know, I I think at the end of the day, the, the phrase, the sky is the limit, literally is what this whole class is about. It's about imagination. It is about tinkering. It is about using the right tools to create your world around you and create the tools that are going to help you the most yeah absolutely and it's joked about that at 20th level you're basically gods but i think that is way more true as a 20th level artificer than any other 20th level class i've seen oh my god absolutely so i think that will lead us into our discussion about the different specialist subclasses for artificer and um i believe i'm kicking it off with the alchemist is that right oh yeah so the alchemist um, this subclass is all about combining chemicals, reagents, and elixirs to produce mystical effects and then use them to either give life or take it away. Uh, they kind of centralize and focus on this third level feature, which lets you make uh, this experimental elixir that gives some random effects. And like we mentioned before, you gain an additional tool proficiency. You get uh, proficiency with alchemist supplies, um, or if already proficient with that, you can just choose another set of artisan's tools to become proficient in. And then you have your alchemical spells. Uh, these basically work like um, cleric domain spells or, or druid circle spells in that they're always prepared. They don't count towards the number of prepared spells you can do per day, and they count as artificer spells for you. And each one of these specialist subclasses, their, their, their uh, specialist spells are all thematic to the class. So, for example, the alchemist at third level um, gets healing word and ray of sickness. Fifth level is flaming sphere and Melf's acid arrow. Ninth level is gaseous form and mass healing word. Thirteenth is blight and death ward. And then lastly at seventeenth is cloud kill and raise dead. And so as mentioned, the central feature to this class at third level is, uh, to this subclass rather, is the experimental elixir. This lets you make a special elixir that's got a random effect. And uh, once per day, um, or if you want to do it more, you can burn a first level or a higher spell slot. But once per day, um, using your alchemist supplies and by having an empty flask, you create a, a special elixir that's got one of these random effects. Um, at higher levels, you can make more of them per day. At 6th is 2 per day. At 15th is 3 per day. But the random effects, um, they you don't know what it is until you or somebody else drinks it. And when that happens, you roll a d6. It could be one of the following things. It could be healing, in which the drinker regains 2d4 plus your intelligence modifier hit points. It could be swiftness, which they gain 10 feet of walking speed for one hour could be resilience which they gain a plus one bonus to the ac for 10 minutes boldness where they roll a d4 and then for every attack and save for the next minute they add that to the roll there's flight in which they gain 10 feet of flying speed for 10 minutes and then lastly it's transformation where they are transformed by alter self for 10 minutes drinker's choice the drinker gets to choose what form that takes so 
I love the fact that this is random and there's not any one particular one of these that is exponentially better than the others. Um, so you're not like disappointed by the results. And they're all pretty good. They're all going to be useful, um, assuming you're not drinking it while you're in some downtime in between towns or something like that. Um, whether or not it's role-playing or combat, there's probably going to be a use for any of these. Um, so the, I, I don't think you're ever really going to be disappointed by drinking one of these um, experimental elixirs. No, not at all. I think that, like you said, none are really like better than the others. Each of them have their own unique features and what makes them great. And personally, I'd be happy to have any of those. Yeah, definitely. So if you're taking this specialist subclass, make sure to have some empty flasks on you. Maybe that's the thing that you pick up next time you're in town at the general store. You want to make sure you've got uh, an empty flask or two to make these magical experimental elixirs. So then moving on at fifth level is the feature called Alchemical Savant. And uh, this happens when you uh, cast a spell that uh, that either heals or does some sort of uh, specific type of damage. That's acid, fire, poison, or necrotic damage. Um, as long as you're using your alchemist supplies as the spellcasting focus. And what it does is you get to add your intelligence modifier to the healing or the damage roll. So casting a, a spell that does healing or does that specific type of damage, you get to add your intelligence modifier to it. It's a pretty straightforward feature, just giving a boost to some specific types of spells and healing. Um, it's, it's utility. It's what it is. Yeah, it's a damage boost. It's a heal boost. It's nothing that's out of the ordinary or too crazy, but it's useful, and I like that. Exactly. So moving on, at ninth level is the feature called Restorative Reagents. And this um, goes back to the experimental elixirs that you're making. And then now, whenever someone drinks one of those, they gain uh, 2d6 plus your intelligence modifier of temporary hit points. Also, um, you can straight up cast the spell Lesser Restoration without spending a spell slot or without having it prepped, um, as long as you're, once again, using your alchemist supplies as the spellcasting focus. And you get to use that particular ability, the ability to cast Lesser Restoration, a number of times per long rest, which is equal to your intelligence modifier. So I think this one is uh, extremely useful. Um, just having your elixirs straight up give temporary hit points and being able to cast lesser restoration without burning spell slots, super useful. Yeah, I think that temporary HP is something that people often don't think about too much because, you know, when you're hurt, you think about getting healed. But temp HP is really nice to have um, just in fights, period. Knowing that, wow, I just took 20 slashing damage from that guy's sword. Oh, but wait, I can actually take off a chunk of that because I had temp HP. Like, it's just a little barrier that always helps mitigate damage, slow down the process of you getting hacked to pieces. Um, and then being able to cast Lesser Restoration for those of you that are a little unfamiliar with the spell, Lesser Restoration ends uh, certain diseases or conditions, and those conditions can be blinded, deafened, paralyzed, or poisoned, which none of those are really fun to have while you are fighting. Oh my God. So being able to cast that as an action, just having your alchemist tools potentially five times per long rest without having to prepare it is so nice. Being poisoned is very annoying. Um, but yeah, anyways, uh, you know, so somebody in combat could drink one of your potions and uh, they might roll the healing portion of it and gain back some of the, the damage they just took and gain uh, more temporary hit points. 
Um, so I think this this feature is um, just stacking on top of that already useful feature, um, just buffing it up, making it that much better. Mm -hmm. So continuing on, this the, the last feature of this specialist subclass is called Chemical Mastery. And uh, similar to what we've seen in some other classes, you are so in tune with and have so uh, aligned yourself and are used to being around these different chemicals. Um, you have resistance now to acid and poison damage, and you also are immune to the poisoned effect. Uh, also, similar to the restorative reagents, you can straight up cast greater restoration and heal without spending a spell slot or prepping the spell or having material components. Uh, again, as long as you're using your alchemist supplies as the spellcasting focus, you can cast either one of those spells once per long rest. So there's no um, using it more times if you burn a spell slot. And it's also either one of those once per long rest, not each one once per long rest, if that makes sense. Still, though, heal is such an incredible spell. Heal is a lot of hit points. Yeah, if you don't... Um... You don't have a healer in your group. Heal is so, so strong. Um, and Greater Restoration is also incredibly powerful. I just, I, I know we kind of flip-flopped the order because Artificer technically now comes first in the list of classes. But having this done last um, in the way that we've done this episodically, it's nice to see that this formula that has been created for Tasha's of introduce something early, compound on it later, and it really takes form in its final stages. I just, I, spoiler alert, we're going to see that with a lot of these subclasses uh, for Artificer, but I'm just, I'm so happy that they did this again, where they give you something early that does not seem too intense, and then later it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it reaches its final form, and it is just a phenomenal, awesome feature yeah definitely and just as a, as a quick reminder about these spells since we did you know give a brief reminder of lesser restoration greater restoration uh there is a material component but with this feature you can just ignore it um this is similar it allows you to just end uh one of these you know crazy effects whether it's charmed or petrified or removing a curse um ending a reduction to its ability scores or ending uh, an effect that reduces its hit point maximum you can just straight up end with greater restoration and then heal uh, allows you to restore up to 70 hit points to a creature um, so again this end cap feature is, is incredibly strong focusing on that uh, theme of restoring uh, or taking away life based on your uh, ability to uh, manipulate chemicals and, and reagents and elixirs yeah i just think it's all around fun and a really good thematic fit for the artificer. So moving right along is the second of four subclasses called the armorer. So artificers of this specialty are adept in creating sets of armor for themselves that act as a second skin. Uh, they work in tandem with this power armor to enhance their abilities and prove a very formidable foe. These artificers have honed their magic to become one with their creations. Um, so at third level, you get your tool proficiency, which is you get profici proficiency with smith's tools and heavy armor. And if you already have proficiency in smith's tools, you do gain a proficiency in another type of artisan's tools. Um, your armorer spells, uh, which just like the last subclass, um, these spells are always prepared for you and they don't count against your number of spells. Per uh, they don't count against your number of spells that are prepared per day. 
At third level, you get Magic Missile and Thunder Wave. At fifth level, you get Mirror Image and Shatter. Ninth level, you get Hypnotic Pattern and Lightning Bolt. Thirteenth level, you get Fire Shield and Greater Invisibility. And seventeenth level, you get Pass Wall and Wall of Force. So we're not going to spend too much time talking about these spells, but I do want to say that some of these spells just don't seem to fit for me. Like the, the illusion spells, like Mirror Image and Invisibility and Hypnotic Pattern. Um, maybe we're going to see a little bit more synergy with these spells later in the subclass features or when people play this. But it just seemed to me that, you know, I don't know why we have illusion spells with this like suit of armor that's supposed to be a, you know, a big heavy suit of armor. But, you know, that's just me. Um, so moving right past that, uh, at third level, you also get your arcane armor. So much like the experimental elixir, this is the bread and butter for this subclass. As an action, you may touch a suit of armor that you are wearing and turn it into arcane armor. And while you wear this armor, you gain the following benefits. If there is normally a strength requirement for the armor, it lacks this for you. The arcane armor can be used as a spellcasting focus for you. This armor cannot be removed by anyone but you, and you can retract and deploy the helmet as a bonus action, and it replaces any missing limbs to act functionally as those limbs. And finally, you can don or doff the armor as an action, and this armor remains magical this way until you don another suit of armor or you die. So being the core of this subclass, um, I like that I can already see how later features will build off of this one and building off the armor. Um, and as a base feature, I think that this is really cool, uh, being able to have your arcane armor replace limbs and work as an extension of your body is very interesting, especially because there are so many spells out there in the 5e universe and magical effects that specifically talk about not replacing any lost limbs. So I think that's really, really cool that your armor is magical and say your arm got torn off. If you put on this suit of armor, the arm will just magically fit inside it or it will it will be hollow for you but you will still have functionality of that arm and lacking the strength requirement also opens up the armor to maybe be more dex based in their skills and attacks and still be able to be decently armored against potential danger which i think is pretty cool um, and the the final part of this feature being able to don and doff armor as an action is um something that I think depending on the DM is not very it's it's just not seen too much I mean you know I don't know if I've ever met a DM that says your camp gets attacked in the middle of the night oh but are you wearing your armor like we're just going to assume that everybody sleeps in their armor I don't think anyone unless you are a stickler for the rules I know I would just rather have my players be armored yeah I have never um, asked anybody to take off their armor at the end of the day um, I, yeah. I will say, though, that if anybody listening is a Brandon Sanderson fan, I'm getting some strong Stormlight Archive uh, shard plate uh, vibes from this feature already. Yeah, uh, for me, that last bit about being to being able to don and doff armor with an action was very like Iron Man. Oh, yeah. Where your armor just like just like fits onto your body and an action six seconds for an entire suit of armor just to just materialize around you. Well, I don't know about you, but that's how I would describe it. There's nothing that says you can't. Oh, yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, my artificer's name is um, uh, Sconey Skark. And <laughs> <Yep>. um, <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, so the final 
uh, feature that you do get at third level. I know there's a lot that you get. You get four at third level, but this one builds off of the arcane armor. It is called Armor Model. So after a long or short rest, with the smith's tools in hand, you may customize your suit of arcane armor to become one of two model types, the Guardian and the Infiltrator. And each of these armor types have their own weapons that they fight with, and in place of dex or strength mods for the weapons, you would instead use your intelligence modifier. So the Guardian, their weapon that they get is called Thunder Gauntlets. Uh, this is a simple melee weapon attack, and on a hit, a creature takes 1d8 thunder damage and has disadvantage on any attack rolls that target another creature other than you. And their feature that they get is called Defensive Field. As a bonus action, you can gain temporary hit points equal to your artificer level, and you lose these if you doff the armor, and you may do this a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus per long rest. The second is called Infiltrator. The, their weapon is Lightning Launcher. This is a simple ranged weapon attack. It has a normal range of 90 feet and a long range of 300 feet. And on a hit, a creature takes 1d6 lightning damage, and once per turn, you may cause a creature hit by this attack to take an additional 1d6 lightning damage. Uh, this armor type also has Powered Steps, where your walking speed increases by 5 feet, and Dampening Field, which is you have advantage on stealth checks. And if your armor would impose disadvantage on these checks, then the advantage and disadvantage cancel each other out as normal and you just a flat roll. So these are two very distinct styles of playing with these armor type choices. And I like that they are named very plainly. You, the, the name implies exactly what it is, a guardian or an infiltrator. Uh, with the guardian, I think that it's really cool that you're able to pull focus of your enemies by giving them disadvantage on their attacks against things that aren't you. So you could have really heavy armor on and be the tank of the group and pull focus from the big bad um, to help you protect your teammates and protect other people. And also being able to give yourself temporary health as a bonus action is really, really nice as well, especially since, you know, it can be used more than once per long rest and you don't have to concentrate on it. I think what I like best about this is you don't have to pick one or the other and be stuck with it. You can just change that type after short or long rests. I think that's yeah. incredibly versatile and allowing for you to really think um, in a tactical manner and kind of plan ahead uh, if you know the situation that you might be going into. Yeah, especially if you know that you're going to be going into um, – Maybe you are trying to sneak into a place. You could choose the Infiltrator. And as the name implies, you'll be passing your stealth checks. And you can use this ranged attack to fire from a distance. Um, I will say that I don't think that causing an additional 1d6 of lightning damage is a, you know, it's as strong as imposing disadvantage. But, you know, an additional 1d6 is an additional 1d6. That's cool. Once per turn. Yeah, advantage and disadvantage are incredibly strong. So somebody that is you know, wearing ridiculously strong armor, getting advantage on stealth checks is, to me, nuts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it would just go without saying, like, you probably need to make sure that maybe you are not choosing anything higher than medium armor so that you don't have to worry about canceling out your disadvantage. But moving right along into 5th level once you hit fifth level you get an extra attack so when you take the attack action you may attack twice um, not too much to say about this but uh, i think this is just a useful feature for the subclass um, because of the the power armor that you're having i think you're going to be doing a lot of up close fighting unless you're doing infiltrator um, 
but even so, two attacks are better than one, so... Uh, moving into ninth level, you get what is called armor modifications. So you can now infuse each part of your armor, and each piece counts as its own individual item in regards to infused item. Your chest piece, your boots, your helmet, and the special weapon all count as their own individual pieces. And individually, the max number of infused items that you can have at once increases by two, as long as those additional infused items are a part of your arcane armor. So this is solidifying the idea that these artificers are experimenting and perfecting their armor. And I just love the idea that they are literally surrounding themselves with their infusions and not just, you know, creating magical items that are infusions. They are augmenting their own body with their creations. Um, and as we mentioned before about the infusions, uh, for those who have been keeping tabs along at home, uh, the max number of infused items for an artificer at this level is three. So that means you can have five infused items as long as at least two of those are a part of the armor. All right, so that sounds completely nuts to me. Uh, so that means at ninth level, having uh, a maximum number of infusions increased to five and counting the number of pieces of armor that you now have means you could have all of your armor infused and an additional item beyond that. Um, and just glancing through some of what these can do with regards to your armor and having an extra item, um, there's a lot of different reactions and things that you're going to be able to do. And action economy considered makes this ninth level feature, to me, kind of nutty. Yeah, I think that treating each piece of the armor as its own piece that can be infused in its own way, I just, it, oh man. Like, you're literally just surrounding yourself in magic. And I think that's, it's very formidable. Yeah, you are, you are becoming Iron Man, literally. Yeah. And so moving into the last and final end cap feature for this subclass at 15th level, it's called Perfected Armor. So you've perfected your arcane armor, and the two different armor models gain additional benefits. So... The Guardian, uh, when a huge or smaller creature ends its turn within 30 feet of you, you may cause that creature to make a strength saving throw against your DC, and if it fails, it is pulled up to 30 feet towards you, and if it comes within 5 feet of you, you can make a melee attack against that creature as a part of that reaction, and you can do this a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. For the Infiltrator, any creature that takes lightning damage from your lightning launcher attacks glimmers until the start of your next turn. This light sheds dim light in a 5-foot radius and causes that creature to have disadvantage on attacks against you. And in addition, the next attack against it has advantage, and if the attack hits, the target takes an additional 1d6 lightning damage. So starting with the Guardian, I think this feature is so cool. It kind of reminds me of Scorpion's like palm chain thing from Mortal Kombat, like the get over here. Oh yeah, totally. If you remember that. Yeah. And so with the sizes of a creature that this can affect, this includes a storm giant and even all adult dragons. So yanking them out of position and then also attacking them is super strong. Like we've said in previous episodes, providing CC for your team and damage on the same turn is a very potent combination. And it's also as a reaction, which is super convenient. Yeah, that's really good. And it it's not on your turn when you get to do that. It's just when 
or is it on your turn? You can use your reaction. That is right. It's on your turn uh, as long as it's within 30 feet of you. I, you're right. That is going to be really strong, being able to move something of a pretty massive size out of position um, or into a, a specific position that you want and um, then make an attack all in the same set of things is uh, is incredibly strong. Yeah, you could pull it into a trap. You could pull it into, as long as, long as you're pulling it a direction towards you 30 feet, you could pull it 10 feet off of a cliff. You could pull it, you know, anywhere you want. The possibilities are endless, but I think it's, this is a really cool feature. Um, and with the infiltrator, this feature kind of reminds me of like a modified version of the fairy fire spell. Uh, the downside is that it only lasts one round, but this effect just happens every single time you hit a creature with that lightning damage. And where the feature is really strong for me, in my opinion, is that there is no save or anything. The glimmering light just happens. Like with Fairy Fire, they have to make a dexterity save to get out of this glitter bomb, essentially, that you've thrown. But with this, it's just when you hit, that now the next attack has advantage. It's kind of like Fairy Fire mixed with Guiding Bolt, kind of. Yeah, I like that. I just want to interject and uh, wonder if we can all agree to start calling Fairy Fire a glitter bomb, because I like that a lot more. Yeah, please. No more. There's no fire. It's glitter bomb. It's glitter bomb. I'm gonna cast glitter bomb. Yep. But I think that this subclass is very interesting. Um, you retain your identity as a half caster, but you can also decide how your power armor is going to be assisting your team. I think that the guardian being a super tank is more of like a fighter barbarian thing. But with the infiltrator armor, you can get a bonus with your stealth and do more recon things along with having a ranged attack. So the versatility and making this, you know, like I said, Guardian being like a fighter barbarian, but they can still cast spells and they're still an artificer. Um, I just, the versatility and ability to change your armor type throughout the day is really cool. I would maybe like a third option for the armor type. So it's not just like, all right, do you want to sneak or do you want to tank? But I mean, the end cap feature for the subclass being so powerful, I think just makes up for the fact that there isn't a third choice. So I think this is a very successful subclass i gotta say i'm already impressed with the versatility of artificers with how different each one of these subclasses is and then within this specific one you're allowed to kind of play the class in, in a lot of different ways depending on what form your armor has so there's all there's versatility mm -hmm. within an already versatile class oh yeah okay so speaking of versatility and variety the Artillerist Specialist is up next, and this one is all about using their magic to create projectiles and shoot energy. And the main thing about this subclass is their third level feature um, called Eldritch Cannon, which we'll get to. So uh, the proficiency that they gain at third level is a proficiency with woodcarver's tools, or like the other ones, if you're already proficient in that, you can just pick a different one, a different uh, artisan's tools to be proficient in. Their third level artillery spells, similar to the circle spells like we mentioned, they're always prepared, they don't count towards the number of spells you prepare, and they're artificer spells. At third level you have shield and thunder wave, fifth level is scorching ray and shatter, ninth level is fireball and wind wall, thirteenth is ice storm and wall of fire, and then lastly at seventeenth is cone of cold and wall of force. And then the third level specialist central feature core thing about the artillerist is the eldritch cannon this one's really cool you with your wood carvers or smith's tools as an action you create this magical cannon which can be of small or tiny size 
and if it's a tiny size, you can actually just hold it in your hand. Um, you can make one of these once per long rest, unless you burn a spell slot to make another one. The limitation is there's only one cannon at a time, so there's no fantasy of, you know, burning all your spell slots to create eight different tiny cannons and line them all up in a row, and, you know, there's just one, one at a time. And uh, reading through this, uh, using your woodcarver's tools, I'm imagining, like, how would, would that happen? Am I taking a block of wood and, like, carving out this little wooden cannon in my hand? I don't know, maybe you can use your imagination. Uh, but anyways, the cannon itself, it's got a, a set of stats. Um, it's got an AC of 18. Um, its hit points are three times your artificer level. So just to start, it's 15 at third level. Um, the cannon itself it is immune to poison and psychic damage. If it ever has to make a save, you just roll it with a straight d20. It doesn't have any bonuses or anything. You can cast Mending on it, and it will restore uh, 2d6 hit points. The cannon will stay up for one hour, or unless it drops to zero hit points. You choose, when you when you create it, you choose one of three forms, and whether or not it has legs. Yes, your cannon can have legs, and I don't know why you wouldn't specify that it has legs if you have that option. Then lastly, as a bonus action, you can activate its ability and move it 15 feet if it does have legs. So again, why wouldn't your cannon have legs? Anyways, the three forms that you can choose when you make this are the flamethrower cannon, which produces this... Uh, when activated, produces a 15-foot cone of fire. And anybody in that cone makes a deck save versus your spell save DC. On fail, they take 2d8 fire damage, or they take half on a success. And also, it ignites anything that's flammable uh, in that cone that's not being worn or carried. You could make the Force Ballista Cannon. It's got a ranged spell attack up to 120 feet. And then on hit, it does 2d8 force damage and also pushes away that target uh, up to 5 feet from the cannon. Or lastly is the Protector Cannon. Uh, and within a 10-foot radius when it's activated, you give creatures in that 10-foot radius 1d8 plus your intelligence modifier temporary hit points. So all three of these, very useful. You can choose the form. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of ways we're going to see later on where you can kind of combine different things to make them even more powerful and useful. But uh, all of these are going to be quite useful. Um, Again, as an action, you're using your tools to create this and then bonus action, activating it. This is just a really cool feature all around. I'm very excited to hear more about how this is going to be compounded later on in this uh, in this subclass. But I just, I'm, I'm obsessed with the idea of a flamethrower having working legs that can walk around. I know, that's so fascinating and so cool. And uh, again, it'll stay up for up to an hour unless it's dropped to zero hit points. And you can heal it with mending. I think it's pretty neat. And and thematic. The, the idea that mm -hmm. you're using a spell which does what it says. It mends things. It you know puts uh, physical pieces back together and it restores them to their, their original form. Um, using that on what's basically a familiar is pretty neat. Except where it's like a mechanical construct familiar. Oh, yeah. So so moving on, at 5th level, we have the feature called Arcane Firearm. And what this does, um, you need a, a wand, a staff, or a rod of some sort. You can turn that into an Arcane Firearm, which basically is a magical conduit for you to cast spells through. Uh, using this feature, you carve little sigils into the wand, staff, or the rod using your woodcarver's tools. And effectively, this gives... Uh, whenever you cast an, an Artificer spell through that thing, the wand, staff, or rod... Um, on a damage roll, uh, on one damage roll, um, you can just give it a bonus of uh, 1d8. So, uh, as, as a fifth level feature, I'm I'm not that impressed by this. 
Um, since it's it's not for like the, all the damage rolls of that spell, it's just for one damage roll of the spell. For you know, so if there's a spell that does multiple hits of damage, um, this bonus just goes to one of those rolls. Um, so I, I'm not really impressed with this fifth level feature, but I'm not gonna turn away. You know, an extra D8. Yeah, I, I would agree. Where it's not super impressive, but it, I guess it's a damage boost, and it's better than having nothing. Yeah. But it is what it is. So. Let's move on then. At ninth level, we have the feature called Explosive Cannon. And yes, we're getting back to that really neat Eldritch Cannon that you made. Um, you now can just blow it up. So how this works is, um, in addition, your, your cannon damage rolls go up by a D8. And then as an action, is if, if it's within 60 feet of you, as an action, you can detonate the cannon. How that works is... Um, within a 20-foot radius, creatures that are in that 20-foot radius makes a deck save versus your spell save DC. And then on fail, they take 3d8 force damage, half that on a success. So um, just thinking about this, uh, the ability to, assume, assuming you, why wouldn't you make it have legs, um, maybe you, you chose one form of, uh, of the protector and you're giving all your allies temporary hit points and then you bonus action move it into place maybe it takes a couple turns because it's only 15 feet but you gradually are moving it into, into place of the enemy and then you as an action blow it up and cause all this force damage uh, i think it's pretty neat um, or you combine effects and you know you use the flame floor and do 3d8 fire damage if they fail a deck save versus the 15 foot cone of fire and you're continually moving it closer and closer to your enemies until suddenly as an action you detonate it and cause even more force damage i, I think is really neat yeah i it just makes me think of like just like a tinker toy or like a, a wind-up toy that you've strapped a bomb to and they just walk into the middle of the fight and just detonates yeah and um if you remember from the third level Eldritch Cannon feature description, um, so you as an action, you kind of you can blow this sucker up, and then on your next turn, as an action, you make another one, and you can do it again. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah. So, the, so you don't have to worry about, like, not having one for a long time. Right, right. The downside is it is an action to blow it up. It is an action to make another one. So you're potentially just not doing anything for that turn, um, except for maybe bonus action to activate the... The, uh, the Eldritch Cannon, so, you know, maybe your turn goes something like, as an action, you blow it up, and then the, your next turn, you make another one, and bonus action, you use the Flamethrower, so you're actually doing something with your turn and potentially dealing, dealing some damage. Um, but that mm -hmm. is really cool, you're just blowing up your cannon in the middle of uh, a bunch of enemies. I, I, I think it's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Um, and then lastly, at 15th level is the feature called Fortified Position. So... While you and your allies are within 10 feet of your Eldritch Cannon, again, is small or tiny size, so you can even have it in your hand as long as your allies are within that 10-foot range of you. Um, you and your allies have a half cover because uh, your cannon is emitting this shimmering shield of magical protection. Um, so you get half cover. Again, to remind you, that means you get a plus two to your AC and a deck saves. Additionally, you can now you can have up to two cannons at the same time Whereas before you can only have one, you can have up to two now um, using the same action to create them, but not the same spell slot. You still need to burn a spell slot to create a second one, but you can have up to two now. And also you can activate both with the same bonus action. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that doesn't have to be the same thing. You can make, you know, one cannon be the flamethrower, one cannon be the protector, and then bonus action, you activate both of them. 
Um, you know, so it, it really allows for a lot of flexibility. And um, maybe you want to have one that's held back as the protector that you activate as a bonus action. And the other one is that one that you're going to send into the middle of combat to blow up every time. Um, a, lot of, a lot of things that you could do with this uh, particular feature. Yeah, I mean, I also just really like the idea of having two, uh, what is the, the force ballistas, just on opposite ends of the room. And, you know, the room that you're fighting in, it, the range of those force ballistas are 120 feet. So you basically have 240 feet of map control where you can still get damage in as a bonus action, causing both of them to strike at the same target or different targets as a bonus action. Like, Yeah, exactly. And just to specify the range that you create these uh, small or tiny Eldritch Cannons is, is within five feet of you. So um, I, I like the idea. It is really cool in my mind that you're creating these sentries that you're going to put on strategic spots in the middle of a room or something like that. Um, but they do have to be within five feet of you. So while that is cool, that's not something that's possible unless you specifically go to those locations and kind of place them there. Yeah, very Torbjorn, Symmetra, uh, if you're an Overwatch player, Heimerdinger if you're a League player, any any sort of sentry. But I think I agree that I think it's cool that you are purposefully going and setting up a sentry and running over here and setting up a sentry. Yeah. It's it's cool. miniature Eldritch cannons. So that wraps up yeah. this specialist. Uh, again, this feels very different than the other two that we've seen so far. And I just wanted to reiterate, I, I really love the flexibility and just how, how much variety there is, even uh, from subclass to subclass. Yeah, and even so, we're going to see even more variety with this last subclass, which is the Battlesmith. So Battlesmith artificers have spent their time cultivating and honing the necessary skills to create mechanical life. Not only are their creations a testament to their imitation of life, but they also act as extensions of their intentions. So at third level, you do get another tool proficiency. You gain proficiency in Smith's tools. And again, if you are already proficient in them, you gain proficiency in another type of artisan's tools. And you do get additional spells. So at third level, you get heroism and shield. Fifth level is branding smite and warding bond. Ninth level is aura of vitality and conjure barrage. 13th level is Aura of Purity and Fire Shield. And 17th level is Banishing Smite and Mass Cure Wounds. So much like kind of how I felt that some of the spells were a little confused with the Armorer, I feel like this is also just a touch confused. I think, honestly, what might do it for me is if we swapped the Battlesmith having the more Illusion and Artillery spells and give the armor the aura of purity aura of vitality the smites like branding smite and banishing smite since they're going to be kind of up in their faces using their power armor i just i think that you know as i talk about the the things that come later with the subclass i think just more illusion spells would work better with the battlesmith but that's just me um so also at third level you gain battle ready which is you gain proficiency with martial weapons, and when you attack with a magical weapon, you may add your intelligence modifier to the attack instead of dex or strength. So, you know, this is a cool feature because martial weapons proficiency is not something that is frequently seen in half-casters, um, and with the artificial infusions, you will be making magical weapons often, so getting the intelligence mod damage will be pretty easy. Will be pretty easy. 
So the last thing that you get at third level is the bread and butter, is the core, is the essence of what the battlesmith is. Your magical tinkering has borne a metal companion known as the Steel Defender to assist you and your teammates. Now there is a stat block for this in the uh, for this construct in Tasha's, and it outlines the attacks and actions that it can make in and out of battle. You determine the appearance and if it has two legs or four. In combat, it shares your initiative and goes immediately after you. It takes the dodge action unless you use your bonus action to command it to do otherwise. And if the Mending Cantrip is cast on this construct, it regains 2d6 HP. And if it dies within the last hour, you can use your Smith's Tools to revive it if you are within 5 feet of it and you expend a first level spell slot to do so. You can also create a new Steel Defender with the Smith's Tools in hand after a long rest, and if you do so, your old Steel Defender will perish if it still exists. Whew. So, I know that was a huge chunk of text, but um, this is the main focus of the subclass. Um, this feature to me kind of mimics the Beastmaster Ranger feature where you get an animal companion. But as you'll hear later in this subclass, the Steel Defender uh, you create, it does have more things that it can do and the later features build off of it. One of my most favorite things that the Steel Defender can do is that it can be healed without spending any sort of spell slots. All you need to do is cast the Mending Cantrip on it. Um, also, this construct, when looking at the attack actions that it can do, the attack action is called Force Empowered Rend. It is a melee weapon attack, and the target takes 1d8 plus your proficiency bonus Force Damage. So, Doing the force damage from this construct is very nice because, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, force damage is one of the least resisted damage types. Oh yeah, that's a very good point. I think my favorite thing about this is uh, its ability to repair itself. It's got a, a three times per day repair feature um, where it can restore 2d8 plus your proficiency bonus hit points to itself. Um, I, it really makes me think of something like uh, you know, The Matrix or um, R2-D2 or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that the Steel Defender, because personally, I've played this subclass before, and my Steel Defender was basically like a mechanical Greyhound. Um, and they were able to run about the battlefield. I didn't really want to have anything bipedal. I felt it was kind of weird to have a, a, a bipedal companion. So having a quadrupedal on all four legs, sort of animalistic, was very fun. Um but yeah, we will see what happens later with this uh, Steel Defender. They get some really cool features. Um, so moving into 5th level, uh, much like we saw with the Armorer, you do gain an extra attack. When you take the attack action, you can attack twice. Um, nothing too much to say other than you'll be attacking a lot with your magical weapons and your Steel Defender, so you'll want to be swinging swords a little bit more than slinging spells. So at ninth level, you get a feature that is called Arcane Jolt. Once per turn, when you either hit a creature with a magic weapon or your steel defender hits with an attack, you may cause one of these two effects to happen. Either the target takes an additional 2d6 force damage, or 2d6 worth of healing flows into a chosen recipient that is in within 30 feet of the target that was hit. And you can do this a number of times equal to your intelligence modifier per long rest. So obviously this makes the battlesmith more versatile in battle. Um, 
sure this effect can only happen once per turn, but still being able to cause extra damage or healing from both you and your steel defender makes tactically positioning yourself a little bit more important. Um, I do wonder how quote-unquote broken it would be if you were able to do these every short rest instead of a long rest. Um, I feel like being able to heal or cause extra damage only five times per day isn't that strong, but this is only a ninth level feature, so I guess it, it makes sense, but um, I just wish maybe perhaps being able to do it a little bit more, um, especially with the healing, being able to heal from your Steel Defender or yourself. Um, I don't know. I, I always want more, I guess, but I, I think this is a cool feature. Yeah, it's, I think it's really good. And I'm going to um, reference back to uh, something we talked about earlier, and that is just the action economy of being able to uh, do these multiple things, deal damage and and uh, deal extra damage or deal damage and then heal all in the same turn. Um, I think can't be overstated. It's That, that economy uh, can really make or break a fight. For sure. Making sure that somebody stays up or making sure that somebody stays down is very important in a fight. And moving right along to the final end cap feature of the Battlesmith at 15th level, it is called Improved Defender. So your Steel Defender has become more powerful and you have been given a few new features. Your Arcane Jolt damage and healing have increased to 4d6, and your Steel Defender gains a plus 2 to its AC which when it starts out, your Steel Defender has an AC of 15, and that is natural armor. It cannot be changed. So now at 15th level, uh, you have been able to outfit it with an armor that is now 17 AC. And when the Steel Defender uses its deflect attack action, the attacker takes force damage equal to 1d4 plus your intelligence modifier. Now the Deflect attack is actually a reaction. It imposes disadvantage on the attack roll of a creature it can see within five feet of it, provided that the attack roll is against a creature other than the defender. So it's kind of like pack tactics, but the other creature does not need to be within five feet. Your steel defender just needs to be within five feet of the attacking creature, and it can now cause 1d4 plus intelligence modifier damage to it. Well, that's kind of neat. I, I like that. It's you know, depending on what you want to do with it, uh, I think situationally imposing disadvantage on a thing and then dealing a little bit of lesser damage um, could possibly be situationally better than using a reaction to do an opportunity attack, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a really fun end cap feature for this subclass because it not only improves on the ninth level feature, but also it gives your Steel Defender a bonus to its AC and giving you even more reason to throw it into fights. Um, and I, I didn't want to go too much into the stat block because there's, you know, it's a whole stat block. So at third level, your steel defender's hit points is two plus your intelligence modifier plus five times your artificer level. So at level 15, it has an AC of 17. And if your intelligence modifier is plus five, its HP will equal 82. So a construct that has 82 HP and 17 AC, it's gonna be pretty beefy in a fight especially since you know that's stronger than what a level 15 wizard might have that that perhaps. is so much stronger than a uh, an animal companion or uh you know so something of the, that nature that's like having another player on your team yeah and the fact that you can just create another one if it dies you're like oh well i'll just create another one tomorrow morning you don't have to train an animal you don't have to find one it's just you can just create another one 
So I definitely think that this 15th level feature is well-rounded and on theme for the end of this subclass. You know, people at home that are listening, feel free to look through the stat block of the Steel Defender. Um, another thing that I love about it is that it has the Vigilant feature, so it can't be surprised. So oh, nice. in battle, your Steel Defender may be able to alert you. It can't speak any language, but I'm sure, you know, consulting your DM, you could be like, all right, well, it can bark. I've given it a voice box. It can alert me with noises, um, but it understands all the languages that you speak. So I think that's really nice mm -hmm, as well. For sure. Um, but overall, I love this subclass. I, I do think that having a metallurgic friend that can be used in battle is really, really fun. And honestly, it just feels um, like, like we've said, a, just a stronger version of the Beastmaster Ranger subclass. Um, it is only stronger to me in the sense that artificers are already a more versatile class with their spellcasting and their skills. Um, but I'm overall just overjoyed that Tasha's has brought the artificer out of Eberron and into the general world of 5e. And especially with this subclass, there are so many ways to customize your steel defender to have it be what you want. Um, something that I did for fun when I played this subclass was I was a halfling artificer that would ride their steel defender because you're, Steel Defender is a medium construct. Halflings are small. I rode on the back of it, and I took the mounted combat feat. So he was a little bit more of a combat-minded character because of his bond between him and his Steel Defender. He was able to ride on the back and have this mounted combat experience, and I don't know. I, I just thought it was really, really fun to find fun combinations with the versatility of this class and subclass. Yeah, that's that's really creative. I like that a lot. So as we promised, we are coming to the end of this episode here. We did want to talk about a few of our favorite artificer infusions that we saw that are listed in the book. Um, obviously, we're not going to be talking about all of them because there's quite a bit of them, but just a few of them we really, really enjoyed. Um, Jaren, why don't you take it away with your, your first uh, of your favorites? Sure. And just to remind you, the uh, infusions are something you start getting at second level. Um, and some of them do have level requirements. Um, my favorite ones, as it turned out, were the ones that didn't have those level requirements because I think um, those are the ones that are going to be the most versatile. Those ones you get at early levels and can start playing around with them. And by far, my favorite one is one called Homunculus Servant. Uh, this has an item requirement of a gem or a crystal worth at least 100 gold pieces. So not exactly the highest barrier to entry but it does require you know that that gem it's a little bit more easy to find than say some of those weird material components in the new summon spells but there's a little bit of a barrier to entry and when you have it and you you make this homuncular servant you get to determine the form it takes and uh, it will form around the gemstone or the crystal that will serve as its heart the form it could be could be some sort of uh, mechanical construct in the form of an animal or it could be um, like an inanimate object like a cauldron or vial. And probably the thing that makes me really love this feature, uh, this particular infusion, is the artwork in Tasha's. If you have it, you know, take a look at it on page 21. Just for some creative inspiration, they have things like, you know, a mechanical owl with these beautiful bronze wings spreading out from its back or this uh, winged cat-like creature with this rigid tail that's carrying a bag of tools. Um, but they also have uh, some sort of what looks like an espresso machine that's got a face on it, um, and it's flying with some sort of jet propulsion. Or there's a cauldron with a face on the front of it, and it's got these mechanical wings out the back. I just think that's hilarious and amusing. It really makes me think of, like, 
you know, Disney's Beauty and the Beast. You've got these animated candlesticks or something like that, but these are mechanical constructs. Uh, anyways. Oh, I'm obsessed with that flying espresso <laughs> that's machine. So cool. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, anyways. Uh, so yes, the homunculus servant can fly. It's got the, the ability to fly and it's got its own stat block. I'll, I'll look at a little bit of those things. Uh, it has the evasion ability, which to remind you is if it's ever subjected to an effect that has it makes a deck saving throw um, to take half damage. If it succeeds, it takes no damage. If it fails, it takes half damage. And um, it's got an AC of 13. Uh, it's got hit points equal to one plus your intelligence modifier plus artificer level. So not quite as beefy as the um, the defender that the battlesmith has, but it is... You know, for a second level feature, it's it's pretty uh, pretty good. Um, it's got a ranged uh, weapon attack that deals force damage, um, similar to some of the other mechanical constructs we've seen. If you cast mending on it, it will restore two d six hit points. And then the last thing that's really cool about this is it's got a reaction called channel magic, which which um, allows you to uh, use that reaction and uh, cast a spell that's got a, uh, a spell that you cast that's got a range of touch as long as it's within 120 feet of you. And I think the way that that works, if I'm interpreting it correctly, is it uses its own reaction, but it's you casting the spell with a range of touch through the homunculus. So it, it's it's basically giving your touch spells uh, an, an extra 120 foot range, you know, um, as long as, you know, it can still... As long as the homunculus is within that touch range, it just adds that that range of of it to you. I, I hope that's making sense. I feel like the more I explain it, the more confusing it is. But um, most thing I like about this is the idea of you've got a flying espresso machine as your homunculus servant. Yep, that's I would never take it anywhere else <laughs> or have it be anything else. It would just be a flying espresso machine. A cauldron with a face <laughs> could be. Yeah. Your creativity is the limit. So, uh, send it back over to you. What was one of your favorites? I am obsessed with uh, repeating shot. Now, the only uh, sort of requirement is that you just have to have um, a simple or martial weapon with the ammunition property. So, your your bows, your crossbows, um, if you have um, firearms in your campaign, a firearm would also be something that involves ammunition. So basically what it does, you touch this weapon that has the ammunition property. It becomes a magical weapon with a plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls um, when it's used to make a ranged attack. And it ignores the loading property if it has it. If you do load no ammunition into the weapon, the weapon itself produces its own ammunition um, magically. It just creates it itself in the loaded chamber or, or wherever and fires and then the ammunition disperses whether it hits or uh, misses so regardless if it hits or miss by the end of it being launched it's just going to disperse but i just i love the idea of you picking up an empty bow and pulling the string back and this spectral arrow just forming and firing it off so you can fire it as normal but you don't have to worry about buying arrows you don't have to worry about collecting them after the battle you can just walk around that's that's a whole that's a whole purchase that you don't have to make on a consistent basis. Yeah, definitely. And if you're running the type of campaign where we're keeping track of encumbrance and how much you have on you, then maybe that might be a big deal where you don't have to carry around 100, uh, 100 arrows with you, you know, whenever you're going town to town. 
Yeah. And I mean, if you do have firearms, I think it's just so cool thinking about a gun that doesn't need bullets and you're just firing off these like spectral arcane shots from this gun. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I think we got time for two more. What's what's your your last favorite one? Okay, the other one that I wanted to talk about is the replicate magic item infusion. And uh, unlike the other infusions, this one you can take multiple times. And whenever you do, um, you are literally just recreating and making a magic item. Now, there are some restrictions. You can't make any magic item. Um, there's a set of tables that you choose from, uh, depending on what level of artificer you are. And uh, so uh, at higher levels, you get the ability to choose stronger magic items. Um, and these are level appropriate items, right? But they're all going to be pretty useful. So just to give an example, um, if you choose replicate magic item right when you get infusions at second level, which by the way, for some of these, I highly would. Um, one of the most useful things at early levels is the bag of holding and you can craft that with replicate item at second level. Um, second level items are also stuff like ascending uh, stones, another incredibly useful thing to have at early levels. It's even useful at later levels. Um, then some example of some things like at sixth level, when you take this uh, as a sixth level artificer, there's stuff like um, cloak of elven kind and uh, ring of water walking. Uh, tenth level, there's things like the hat of disguise and um, you know something like medallion of thoughts these are magic items i haven't really even looked into um 14th level there's things like the gem of seeing cloak of the bat bracers of defense um, all really useful things but i think key for me is those early level second level artificer things that you get to make the bag of holding and uh sending stones are the going to be my two go-to things to make if i was ever taking replicate magic item at second level and uh, by the way, you can take multiple of those since at second level, when you get infusions, you choose up to four and you can take this multiple times. So theoretically, if you wanted to, you make four magic items right away at second level. Yeah, I, I think this is an incredibly useful infusion. And I think that because of this massive list uh, that it gives, you are able to leap over many campaign hurdles, especially when it comes to communication you know, especially with the bag of holding, that's the first thing you buy. Like it's oh yeah, as a as a young campaign, like five episodes in, five six episodes in, that's what you're getting first. You could even if you've got a party of four, take replicate magic item four times and get everybody in your party their own bag of holding if you wanted to. I think that's probably a bit overkill and probably a waste of your infusions, but you could do it nonetheless if you wanted to. Yes. So what was what was your other uh, favorite infusion from from the infusions list before we wrap it up yeah so i really really liked uh returning weapon this is just an item requirement of a simple or martial weapon with the throne property uh, it becomes a magic weapon and grants a plus one bonus to attack and damage rolls and it returns to the wielder's hand immediately after being used for a ranged attack uh, say you have that really special dagger not necessarily a magic one but you have a special dagger that you don't want to throw because it might not come back to you but with this it does um and i just i love the idea of not having to worry about finding my stuff i don't want to shoot out arrows and have to go buy more i don't want to have to throw this dagger and and worry about it not coming back or not being able to find it i like you know 
this returning weapon, even hand axes too. Chucking a hand axe and having it Thor style slam back into your hand. I think that's really cool. Or javelins. Anytime. Yeah, because a lot of times you'll have two javelins and you, you throw one of them and now you only have one left and that's the only other javelin you can throw until you, you know, cross the battlefield to pick it up again. But with this, you can just always have it on you. And I, I think that would also be really useful. Yes, 100%. All right, anything else you want to talk about, Artificers, before we get going for the day? I don't think so. I'm just really pleased with the versatility between each specific uh, specialist, as well as uh, how much variety there is within each one of them, especially um, that uh, Battlesmith that we talked about, I think has a lot of um, a lot of versatility. Not the Battlesmith. What was the one that, the one that you took a look at? The Armorer? Yeah, the Armorer. That one's got a lot of versatility, and I'm, uh, again, just... Really pleased that, you know, we've seen this in um, uh, the Eberron setting, and I'm really glad that they are bringing it into Tasha's uh, and kind of fleshing it out and, and really laying it out there for us to uh, to enjoy in our 5e games now. 100%. Versatility, versatility, versatility has been the theme in Tasha's, and even more so we've seen it show up in the Artificer, especially, come on, that artillerist making some sentries that walk around. There's three different things it can do. I know, it's so cool. Yeah. It's really awesome. I'm, I'm very, very happy that this has finally shown itself in 5e in a consistent setting now, and everyone can have access to this wonderful, wonderful class. All right, well, that is our show for this week. Thank you guys so much for stopping by, and if you like this episode, please check out our future episodes, which are released every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Central. Next week, we'll be taking a mid-book break as we put a pause on our review of the content in Tasha's to talk about Session Zeros and how they affect the overall flow of your campaign. This has been Discussions and Dragons. I'm Britton. And I'm Jaren. See you next time. <laughs>